The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Cult for the Culture podcast are solely those of the individuals involved. The content presented is not a substitute for seeking or seeing a licensed mental health professional. Know what's up next, know what's up next. Healthy pleasure with it, coping for the culture. Better tune in, better tune in. Big sis, get him, big sis, get him. Coping for the culture, coping for the culture, coping. Hey y'all, welcome to the Cult for the Culture podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Renee, the culture's advocate. On this show, we interview individuals from different walks of life who are dedicated to being the change within the culture as it relates to various topics and their effects on the world of mental health. Today, I have a very special guest who is a friend of mine as well as a soror. I would like to welcome Miss Candace Edgerton to the show. Hey, Cam. I meant to say Dr. Candace. So tell the people who you are and what you do. And Well, start first. Thank you for having me on your show. I really love what you're doing. Um, my name is Dr. Candace Edrington, newly doctor. I just graduated in May, but I am a communication and public relations scholar. I basically research um, communication, stratcom, public relations as they relate to activism and social movements. Um, and in the fall, I'll be an assistant professor of strategic communication, continuing to publish my research, teach, as well as attend conference presentations. Yes, Dr. Kansas. It's so crazy to, not crazy because I knew you were going to get this far, but just like where you are and how important it is for you to be in the work that you are in because we know representation matters. And if we don't talk about the work, sometimes it doesn't get done. Um, that's actually a battle that I'm having right now, trying to find the balance between speaking up but not taking on the burden for what other people should be doing. Um, which we know is a very hard thing right now with all of the racial tension and everything that's happening within our country right now, unfortunately. So I know within what you're doing, you mentioned Black Lives Matter and some other things that you have been involved in. Can you tell us what made you pursue this career path? Like what inspired you to take on this fight? Because it's not an easy thing. It's not. I think that's a twofold answer. Um, what actually got me into academia, specifically public relations, is because, as you said, representation matters. Yep. Um, you know, in 2013, I was the first person of color to graduate with my master's from a specific university, and that was insane to think mm -hmm. that it was 2013, um, and we're still being the first at things. So that really kind of made me pursue higher education I would say because you know I still to this day I've been teaching for seven years and I can count on one hand how many students of color I have in my classrooms um, how many faculty members of color I see in the communication and PR discipline so that really made me want to continue to pursue it because representation does matter. Um, you know, when you see yourself, it helps you to know that you can achieve same height. And so that was why I pursued that. But for the research aspect, um, it was needed. So in the public relations literature, there's a lot of research on advocacy as it relates to nonprofit organizations and governmental entities, but not necessarily social movement. And from my point of view, social movements are very similar to public relations campaigns in terms of their strategies and tactics and how they get the message out there. So it was really a gap that needed to be filled. And 
who else better to do it than me? <laughs> right. And one, shout out to you for being the first black woman to graduate from said university, <laughs> which is crazy, but it's it goes to show you how much more that we have to do, which not in a way to be like pessimistic, but just it's really important for us to keep going. And as hard as I know it was for you to be in school, whether it's your master's, because I was with you through that, and your PhD, like it's a lot that goes into it. I know there's a lot that you're exposed to. And so I just want to shout you out for taking on this fight. It's not easy. It is a very hard thing to do. It like more, I think my thing right now that I'm focusing or struggling with is like the moral, what do we call it? It's not struggle. I can't think of the word, but we have a word that we use um, within the mental health field about like how you struggle with what your morals and views are versus what's actually happening in the world and how that doesn't always line up. And so you get discouraged and disempowered because you know what's going on. And regardless of what we're doing and how much we're fighting, it still sometimes seems like there's not anything happening. Hence, everything that's happening right now. So I just want to shout you out because I know I know that it's so hard. So thank you for doing that work. Thank you for being the first person. And thank you for willing to represent for us and our people. So I really appreciate you for that. Thank you for having me on the platform. You're welcome. So before we jump into the topic, I always like to ask my guests what their favorite self-care practice is. So what is your thing for you? Check this out. I'm just now getting back into self-care, quite honestly. And so that looks different. When I first got done with this program, self-care for me was just sleep. <laughs> like, catching up on sleep, period. But I think in light of what's happening right now and what has been happening for the past few weeks, self-care for me has been the removal of social media from my phone. I just think, um, you know, that's not natural to see people murdered um, and to see it over and over again. So I just wanted to remove myself from that because like you said, this is something that I researched, mm -hmm. but I'm also a black woman. So it became kind of extremely overwhelming for me, kind of like a dual dilemma, if you will. And so yeah. I just chose to remove myself from social media, whether that was right or wrong. Um, I just chose to take a step back. So that's what self-care has been. and. In light of that, I've just been reading a lot of black literature, actually, I've been reading and just catching up with my friends, you know? Yeah. I had to, um, one, I did an episode, I think that was two episodes ago, when I talked about the sensationalism of black bodies and how people are using the videos, of course, to fight justice, but it's just the constant exposure and no matter where you turn that you can see the video and it's like well what are we supposed to do when it keeps right. going and going and going but people don't want to be out of the loop people want to know what's going on they want to be able to advocate as much as they can um, from a social perspective but it is a lot to balance especially when you are in the field and doing the work so like even for me unplugging the other day and taking a nap I think I took like a four hour nap which is the first time in I don't know how long because it was just so much on social media and then I'm dealing with a lot of it at work because being a trauma therapist, racial trauma is a trauma. And so I still have to be exposed to this on a daily basis. So I'm glad to see that I'm not the only one unplugging and recognizing that it's not natural for us to see this. And as much as the media wants to sensationalize it, it's not okay. 
and it's definitely something that should not be broadcasted on the news for the whole world to see that part I really don't get but yeah you know well and I honestly I get it from a research point of view mm-hmm. right so one of my publications is entitled race and visibility how and why images of black lives matter Mm -hmm. And so I think that publication in particular really speaks to the viral nature of the videos that are circulating. And to me, I think the circulation of those videos are actually catapulting kind of like these global protests. Because if you think about it, um, the narrative around black people, but black men in particular, is that they're aggressive, they're violent. But to see these videos, it kind of is like a tipping point that opens America's eyes to these are humans, like these are people. And in these particular instances, they're not violent. They're not the aggressor. Um, They're literally pleading for their lives. And so I think, you know, watching that over and over and getting it into the eyes of people who probably don't think that this happens on a regular basis. People who Mm -hmm. are not in the black community, white people in particular, um, I think them seeing that is really a tipping point and waking them up um, to step outside of their whiteness and their their white bubble, if Mm -hmm. you will. And so from a research perspective, I I get it. But from a personal perspective, like you said, I I don't get it and I don't want to see it. So that plays into my dual dilemma. Mm -hmm. I mean, it definitely is. And that's what I talked about, too. Like, I understand where it's coming from and I understand why people are upset because I'm upset for all the same reasons. But then it's like when we do the kind of work that we do and we know what comes out of this, it makes it very hard to stay in that place of like, okay, yes, let's keep pushing this. Let's keep, you know, doing whatever we can to get people to see, which is ridiculous to me that we have to even go to that extent for people to understand that this is happening because hasn't nothing has changed. And I won't say nothing because some things have changed, but we're still dealing with a lot of the things that we dealt with a long time ago in Jim Crow and in segregation, like it's mirroring it so much for me right now that I'm having a really hard time understanding why people don't see that. Right. And so that's definitely been my moral dilemma and struggle is how do I still do the work that I'm supposed to do and not allow what's happening to overtake me to the point where I can't function with certain groups of people Mm -hmm. because it's very hard right now with everything going on and wanting to make sure that we get the message out there and people understand and to be advocates for ourselves without having to teach everybody else how to do that too definitely agree so that that's that's been my thing recently but (laughs) with all of that being said so I know that you have done lots of research on this what is your take on what is happening right now you mentioned a little bit earlier around how you understand the research perspective of why people are sharing the videos but from what you've seen in your research how do you think we've gotten to this point and or what's happening right now you know I'll just speak from a social movement perspective and what I'm, I'm seeing that's happening mm-hmm. so I think first a lot of people are excited about the protest going global, right? So this is the first instance of a protest that has ever happened across all 50 states and 18 countries, 18 and counting countries. 
um, that have been standing in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. And so that's huge, right? Mm-hmm. That's great. But I think people are missing the point that a protest is not a social movement. So a protest is an instance of a social movement for sure. It helps to create visibility. It helps to get our message out there. But there's still a lot more work to be done. And Mm -hmm. I'm fearful that a lot of people will let this momentum die. Um, Just take it for what it is and not take it a step further um, to be successful. And in order to be successful in a social movement, there has to be some type of policy implementation for this particular type of movement because we want a radical change, right? Mm -hmm. So we want the system as a whole to be changed, to be inclusive and equal to Black people. And policy has to be implemented. Something has to be changed. And so I'm, I'm grateful. I'm excited about these protests. I'm just hoping that we continue to act when all of this quote-unquote dies down. Um, I just hope we continue to put in the work because mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people recognize the difference between advocacy and activism. And particularly on social media, what that Mm -hmm. looks like. So, you know, it's great to post pictures and to use hashtags, but you have to put some action behind it. I mean, because that's slacktivism, and that is a term. (laughs) Slacktivism? Slacktivism is a term, and it's actually kind of frowned upon a little bit. It's looked at as the lazy work of an activist, right? So when you look on social media, and you see people liking posts or they're sharing posts or they're commenting or they're posting these pictures, um, it's great for visibility, as I said, but if there's no action behind it, if you aren't calling your legislators, if you aren't lobbying on behalf of the issue at hand, if you aren't signing these petitions, if you aren't joining these other organizations to help organize, that's slacktivism. You're basically just using your platforms to add to the narrative, which is great because it creates visibility, but that's also known as slacktivism as it stands on a digital platform. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> wow, slacktivism. Slacktivism, yeah. That is something. And it's funny because I was just talking to somebody about this, I think yesterday, and they had to read me because <laughs> I was saying, like, I don't know that I'm doing enough. And I know I'm not the only person who feels like this. Like, I'm struggling. Yes, I'm, I'm doing the podcast. Yes, I'm getting the message out there. Yes, I'm providing people with stats on trauma and what it looks like and mental health and all of those other things. But am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing to help mm-hmm. with the fight? And I know a lot of people struggle with that, too, because you see on social media, people are saying, if you aren't doing this, then you're not this. And if you and, you know, we have cut off culture real quick, we'll cut somebody right. off fast. And so it's like I think people are overwhelmed because one like I said earlier, racism is traumatic for people. Like the stuff that we are seeing over and over and over again, we can't wipe that from our psyche. Yes, we can try to forget about it, but that's always going to be there. Like it's not something that we can forget. And so that on top of, okay, yes, we're dealing with this, but also we have to fight because people need to be able to push forward. We want the next generation to have something better than we've had, just like the generation before us. So I've really been struggling and what somebody had to tell me was like everybody has their role. Mm -hmm. So yes, there are people who are going to the protest 
and they're doing that. You have the people who are fighting for policy and change. You have that. You have the people who are hosting rallies and different kind of things. And then so the person who was talking to me yesterday said, you know, you have the mental part of it. Like, yes, we can do all of these other things, but there's something about the mentality and the traumas that people have experienced with all of this that have to be wiped clean too. And so for me, I was like, okay. So when you just said slacktivism, I was like, dang, was I slacking? Like, am I doing the right thing? (laughs) (laughs) No, and I'm glad whoever checked you yesterday checked you because I was getting ready to check you. Like you were doing a lot. Like, you know, mental health is, so essential is so real so you know and everybody has their part and I think we need to extend grace to ourselves Mm -hmm. but also to others because everybody is not equipped to be a protester I know just speaking for me I am not the one to go out and be a part of the protest I do what I can Um, you know I'm a part of several social justice organizations I'm signing petitions I'm dialing the numbers I'm signing people up to vote You know, and I also do it through my work. You know, I call myself a scholar activist that, you know, it's probably not a real thing, but I'm claiming it. Um, So I call myself- I think it is. Yeah, I call myself a scholar activist. And like you said, everybody has their part. So I think we shouldn't berate or belittle um, the things that people are doing because everything does play a role. But just speaking in terms of digital activism, activism is a real thing when there is some somewhat an advocation that's the word or advocating on behalf of this particular issue but not really putting action behind it and that action can mm-hmm. look like a lot of different things yeah and uh let, let's check you too because somebody got to do the research sure. we have to know what the stats are we have to know what the disparities are and it's not that we don't know it but it's something about people seeing things in a numerical format mm-hmm that makes people understand things a lot better. I don't know why, but it's a thing. So what you're doing is important for us to have so that we know what progress looks like, because how do we measure it if it's not there? So I would say, yes, a social scholar is a thing, because I think that's why people get into it. Even the reasons why you listed for why you got into the field that you're in now are all the reasons that you're doing what you're doing currently. So that's what I would say. So what what has your research shown you like about racial disparities? Tell us a little bit more about what you've done as far as communications and I think you said marketing too for some other things. Well, I mean, the stats aren't alarming to, I guess, black people, but you know, the statistics, African-Americans are incarcerated in state prisons like 5.1 more times than our white counterparts, you know, and in 11 of those states, one in 20 black males are in prison. So, I mean, also black people are 2.5 times more likely to be killed by the police than white people. So, I mean, it might sound alarming on paper and when you hear the numbers, but I don't think this is anything that we, we aren't aware of just by being in the community and we're, we're faced with this, right? We know people mm-hmm. who are in prison. Right. So I think we're faced with that. But as far as like, you know, the uncoverings that I found in my research, my research really dives into the communicative messages of social movements and how they build communities. So basically, how are we using our digital platforms to build community, to draw participants into the message, to 
kind of get them to want to advocate on our behalf and be a part of the movement. And so I deal with visuals as well as textuals. I look at Facebook pages, Twitter feeds, um, videos, all types of data and things like that. And like I said, really, I think one of the most compelling findings that I've had is that, you know, the images of Black people really do work to shift the narrative of what everyone else has said about Black people. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, and that goes back to, I understand why we are in an uprising right now with, you know, these videos that are circulating. I get it because, you know, people live in their own bubble. People are, mm -hmm. are isolated. And if you aren't insulated into this community, then you probably try not to be aware of what's happening in the community, right? So Right, when it doesn't affect you right, specifically. Right, and particularly, you know, speaking about white people, that goes back to the civil rights movement and how the civil rights movement used the media to their advantage to let people in the North, white people particularly in the North, see these black people getting shot with water hoses or getting bitten by the dogs and all of those things. And it, it kind of helped the movement along because of the visuals. So that was very much so strategic in terms of the mm -hmm. civil rights movement. And so, you know, that's why I can see how we are where we are now because of these images and these videos. It, it just sucks that it takes a, a video or a killing or, to show somebody yeah, for you to and it, it just baffles me yeah yeah it baffles me because when if we're thinking about the civil rights movement and i've been telling people my mind has just been everywhere like the <laughs> i'm even hesitant about saying this but the black panther in me right now is just like oh my god like something else has to change but if you think about the civil rights movement and what was happening then we did have pictures and they did have videos like we can see what happened back then as far as the violence and the brutality and everything that happened to people that were black back then but then it's the research says that people are more likely to respond but why do you think it is still happening if that is the case because that was a while ago it was a while ago that was years upon years ago right you know i wish i had an answer for that because if i had an answer for that then i don't think we would be here um, Ooh, okay, say it again. If, if we knew why this was continuing to happen, you know, it's, it's deeper than police brutality. It's a lot deeper. Like, I think police brutality is, you know, what we're forced to look at right now, but a larger conversation mm -hmm. has to happen, and we're starting to happen. It's starting to happen right now. We're starting to have it in terms of like the systemic racism, right? So, right. you know, education, healthcare, employment, housing um, is still a problem. It's still a problem. And I think, honestly, Tiana, a lot of people laugh at me when I say this um, because it sounds so academic and it's from the academic world, but the term whiteness is real. Um, there's white privilege, but then there's also whiteness. Like when you, you don't even recognize like your whiteness. Um, yeah. And it's so real. So I, I just feel like, like you said, if it's not affecting you, then you aren't moved by it. Like you aren't moved by it. And I honestly don't know, but I also think social media, our technological advancements with our cell phones, with our video phones um, and the ability to FaceTime and capture and to connect with people across the globe 
I think that's something mm-hmm. that we didn't have um, during the civil rights movement. So being able to connect with people you've never met before in another country and show them what's happening over here, I think that plays a large factor into it as well. And also, um, you know, we have the ability to mobilize very quickly now, thanks to social media. Um, So I don't don't know. I wish I had an answer. I wish somebody had an answer so we could stop seeing this, but... Right. And after saying it, I'm like, you already know the answer. We would not be dealing with this. We really wouldn't. But it's just so eye opening. And I think that's why I'm struggling so much now because it's making you reconsider a lot of things. And I know for me, if I'm a therapist and I'm struggling with all of this, then I know other people are too. And I have found myself having to be more vocal in situations mm-hmm. where realistically, And I don't want to say, but it could cost me things like my job because I'm having to speak up to make sure, yes, I work here and, you know, how I feel matters and how safe I feel in this place matters. But at the same time, too, I serve little boys and girls of color and I know how important it is for them to have certain things put in place. So that when they come or when they meet with me, they feel safe. They feel okay. They know that they can talk. They know that this is a safe space and this is for you. But it does place an extra burden when you have to be the one fighting that and you feel like maybe the fight is not on you to fight. Right. I think that's a lot of emotional labor. It is. It is a lot of emotional labor. And I find myself and just other people that I've talked to just so angry about it and not really knowing like what is the right thing to do do I sit and I be angry and I keep signing petitions I keep you know making the phone calls or posting the things that I'm posting making the episodes about the topics that I'm making like is that enough or what else am I supposed to do and I know you've talked a lot about the digital activism and I would love for you to shine more light on what that looks like and what the resources are or options are for people to be able to do that in a way that makes them feel safe because we know there are concerns for safety when you do go out and protest and I've said it too like I want to go out there and I'm mad that I've missed like every single one that happened in Durham I don't know if they're sending it through snail mail or like what the case is but I never (laughs) see it until it happens and I'm like how did I miss this yeah but yeah I don't know I just I know other people want other options too and I know everybody doesn't want to carry the emotional labor that we are having to carry unfortunately to shine light on what we've been experiencing for forever yeah I mean I know there are many organizations that are devoted to social justice the color of change organization I don't know if you've heard of that I have Mm -hmm. there is a grassroots law project which is an organization that's you know they lobby and try to get laws signed or passed so that's something that people can be a part of. They can sign the petitions. Um, change.org has a lot of petitions that are on there. Um, it's just several. I know I'm a part of mm-hmm. Action Pack, which is a political action committee, um, which sends out emails very frequently about how to fundraise and how to get involved on the fundraising side um, because this stuff costs money, right? So it's different lanes that people can do. And right. in terms of digital activism, I mean, digital activism is a funny term. People think it's something that's new. It's, it's really not. It's just attaching the digital to activism. So basically just using your digital platform to be an activist. 
So whether that looks like sending out links to petitions or trying to mobilize people who are broad in a broad array of spaces. I don't know, T, maybe you're not following the right people on Twitter who are are shouting out the the protest. I don't know, (laughs) but I haven't seen anything for the protest in, in Raleigh either, but that's also because I haven't been looking, honestly. I wanted to stay in my little bubble for a while. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But digital activism is, is really, the only new thing about it is the digital and how quickly we can mobilize. I will say though, one thing that is missing from digital activism, which has been very prominent in a lot of other social movements is leaders, right? So like we don't have one set leader or one set mm-hmm. voice for the Black Lives Matter movement or for the movements today. It's very much somebody sends out a tweet and then that tweet is retweeted, goes viral, and then the people show up. So there's not a lot of organizing that seemingly happens on the surface level um, for these social media movements, I would say. Um, But other than that, digital activism is the same. Okay. So basically still using your social media platform to get the message out there. Yeah, and not just like a picture, um, but to, to mobilize, to sign the petition, sending the links, because uh, surveillance is real. Okay, surveillance uh-huh. is real. Put yourself at risk when you go protest. And I mean, there is literature on that, dark surveillance and all that type of stuff. So, I mean... Oh, I don't... Oh, you know you got to tell us about that. What's that? <laughs> well, you know, when people are surveying you, like and not for good things like they, they want to find out who you are I mean you know you expose yourself especially when you're you're going against the norm I guess you know so right just it's just a lot and I think that's not why I choose not to protest but I mean I can see that as a fear of other people who choose not to protest mm-hmm. you know for me I don't know I honestly don't know why. I just think that's not my that's not my ministry. Like, I don't think I, sh- <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I don't think that's my ministry. I think I'm more so best when I'm looking at the strategies and trying to organize from the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, everybody has their lane. Right. I've been trying to figure out if it's my ministry too, because <laughs> one, you know me on a personal level. So one. Right. <laughs> I don't know, like, I was telling my mom this, I don't know how I would respond if someone just came up to me and was yelling out racial slurs or just being outwardly racist or disrespectful to me and or if the police came and they did because I've been being in this and this is what makes me know, granted I already know it because I know the research, but this is what makes me know that racial stuff is a trauma. So I'm thinking about... Um, it was a few years ago. I cannot remember what the situation was. I want to say I was a freshman in college. Me and my friends went to, uh, I think, a party, but we stopped at the gas station first. And something happened at the gas station where the police were called. And for some reason, it was all of us. I think it was like six of us, um, a mixed group of male and female. And the police officer made us all sit out on the steps at the gas station because he was trying to screen us for something, but we weren't understanding what we did wrong. So he was like, everybody needs ID, everybody needs this. Everybody shut up, you can't leave until this. And it was like, what What did we do wrong? Like what happened? And so those things are coming up from things that I have forgot about. 
that was yeah when was our freshman over 10 years ago wow. in college yeah over what we went to i went to college in 2007 so yeah over 10 years ago and so it's stuff like that and then the other day i'm behind or i'm at the stoplight and two police officers are behind me and like the feeling that i had instantly like just nervous and on guard and i'm just like and had done nothing wrong and had done nothing wrong so when i think and consider all of those things and i'm like do i want to protest right. Because how how am I going to respond? Right. I know how angry I am right now. I know how passionate I am on a normal day without being angry. And so I can imagine for people who have all of this emotional buildup, who are having traumatic instances that they've had with the police coming back up for them, that going out there really can be a risk because you just don't know how you're going to respond when you're triggered. And that's what trauma is. Like, nobody knows. And so you're mad at people rioting and doing all of those things, but you're not mad about the years of systematic racism and oppression that have caused people to be to the level of trauma and PTSD that people are. Also, you just don't know what's going to happen at a protest. You don't. Like, you might think it's a peaceful protest, and you go out there, and it just goes left instantly. It happened to one of my friends. She was going to a peaceful protest, and right in front of her, like... They just set cars on fire and it, it just turned into something like completely left. And she was like, you know, I don't feel safe. I don't feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it's, it's just a lot of factors. But I think mine is more so what you just said. Like, you you know me on a very personal level. So, like, <laughs> I, <laughs> like you know, being confronted by militant police for peacefully protesting, that's very triggering. And I'm a very inquisitive person so I'm gonna have questions like why are you out here in right. this military <laughs> type of regalia or whatever you want to call it and we are peacefully protesting like why am I being hit with tear gas or you know, just so many exactly. questions I would have and I think that would just not go well in my favor so I just I just choose to not be there but again we're okay. the other side still doing work mm -hmm. i'm just you still don't work front lines. that's just not my ministry it's not i don't know this <laughs> mine either i do want to get to one though i'm not gonna lie yeah. i do it's just so many things to consider and so many things to worry about but i am proud yeah. of us and i've been seeing this i was actually just talking to my mom about this post i've been seeing circulating saying for us to stop saying that we're not our ancestors because how disrespectful mm -hmm. is that to say when they didn't have the choice that we have they didn't have the ability to say things in the way that we can say things or have social media so they did what they could with the best that they had just like our parents did the best that they could with us and their parents before that and that and that and so i believe it said just say that we're the last generation that's gonna like you're gonna you're not gonna mess with us no more this is the last generation that's dealing with this and so i think for that purpose and just the amount of work because if you look at the pictures and things it's a lot of us all the millennials and all the flack that we get that's who's out there on the yeah. front lines fighting this fight they're the ones putting the protests together they're the ones sending out petitions to people like you can get on twitter and instagram on any given day and then the millennials us we go like it just is what it is so i am really proud and happy that there are people who are willing and able despite the risk to go out there and I also think about them and pray about them because I know that's a lot. Like, for sure, I can only imagine what people are seeing out there. And that in itself is putting more trauma on top of the trauma. So, oh, girl, what do you think? I know it is a lot. It stresses you out. 
Jeez Louise. I mean, so what do you think people can do to advocate for change effectively? I know we talked about digital activism and protests, but like if you could pinpoint one thing that may help us, what do you think that would be? One is to know the difference between advocacy and activism. I think that's a big thing because a lot of people use those terms interchangeably. They're actually mm-hmm. quite different. So advocacy okay. to be an advocate is to support for or recommend a particular cause or policy. So that's basically, you know, posting about it on Twitter or something like that, talking about it, being in support of it. Whereas activism, that's where the action comes into play. So I think it's a it's a difference between intention and impact. <laughs> I really think that that's a thing that people should really be aware of, the difference between advocacy and activism. Um, and just be mindful of how we use this attention is what I will say. We have the media's attention right now. Let's leverage it. Let's continue to post our stories. I saw this hashtag going around on Twitter and um, on Instagram for the quick second that I got back on yesterday. Um, and it's hashtag black in the ivory. So it was experiences Ooh. of black people in academia and the stories that I was reading through that hashtag I I wasn't even surprised because I have my own stories about being black in the ivory and so just continuing to use hashtags to create stories and to share those stories because I think that's something that we need to do going back to the civil rights movement and other movements they use like pamphlets and open letters and newspapers to share their stories and to share the narratives and I think that's one thing that we can utilize social media for the hashtag is a great thing you click on the hashtag you see the thread of everybody talking about it or everybody that's public at least and so being effective storytellers that's a great mm-hmm. tactic to continue to shine the light on what is happening in our community. Uh, so I think that's that's very great. I hope y'all listening. And if you're not, rewind back about three, four minutes and make sure you write that down. Because I think it's, un- but for real, I think it's important. And even me, I think I use the words interchangeably. And that's why it is important. And I will reiterate that you're doing your part because you just educated some people on what the difference is. And I think if you know things, then you can do things. Mm-hmm. And I know with us on social media, we'll see something. We don't always fact check stuff. We'll just send it out and it's out there. But I think having the knowledge, having the language, because everybody's not in academia. Like, they're not. Everybody doesn't have the same access to information or resources. Like, the research that I may look up and do is going to look completely different from yours, even though there are similarities. And so that's why I'm always like looking like who can I get up here that I know is going to be able to offer a different perspective because there is more than one way to fight this fight and I know we all want to stand up and shoot the ones where everybody and trust me some days I'm down for it but at the same time I know that that's not going to get us much further than where we are right now and so it is important to know what's out there what we can do what we can leverage and just how can we can try I mean I don't know this (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and you just said uh, in a very important gem too, fact check, um, because I know we laughed and talked about slacktivism, but hacktivism is also real, like hijacking your hashtag. Oh, That's something real. You can click on a hashtag, a thread, and there's disinformation that has been infiltrated, Purposely. you know, to try to change what we're talking about, to try to change the narrative. So that's something else that we need to do just stay informed and be educated on what's happening what's happening in our communities 
how we can get involved. Make sure the protest that you're going to, you know the organizers, you know, because a lot of these riots and stuff were incited by people who were not fighting on behalf of Black Lives Matter. You change the narrative and you shift that. So just make sure you're doing your due diligence. Go out here and we repost stuff. Um, just make sure you're informed. But seriously, I'm so skeptical at this point that sometimes I won't even send out text messages before I look up a word to make sure that I'm saying the right thing. So now when I see stuff on social media, I'm like, let me go back and look because I don't want to send this out and then somebody come back and say something mean or rude or nasty to me and now I have to respond because I didn't check my facts. So, I, girl, you just don't know on social media. People have... Uh, I don't even know what's the nice word to say. But there are bullies <laughs> on social media. Yes. Trolls, there it is, that are ready at any given time to light you up. And I don't want to be the person because I'm not built for it. My attitude does not work in that way. For people... <laughs> okay, I can't do Twitter things. I can't do it. Girl. Well, this is the part of the show that I like to call this advocate. So if you could change just one thing about the state of mental health right now in our culture that being black and brown people what would that one thing be i'm going to say the stigma around mental health and around talking about mental health um and i thought that the stigma was dying down a little bit um but honestly during this time i've reached out specifically to a lot of my black male friends um you know just to say hey how are you doing um, in this in this space like what are you doing right. and a lot of them are still shying away from talking about their feelings or seeking therapists or seeking counsel for what's happening like one of my friends in particular said I'm just not going to deal with them like I'm just going to push them to the side and you know he he's thinking about the stigma of I'm not going to see a therapist you know I'm not crazy or you know there's nothing wrong with me so I think, honestly, I would change the the stigma. I've seen a therapist before. Yeah. Um, you know, I talk to you like you're my therapist, but, you know, I've seen a therapist before. I'm an advocate for therapy. Um, yeah, and I don't... Mm-hmm. And the listeners know I'm in therapy right. as a therapist. Okay, so... And it, it breaks my heart that that's even the case because if you think about if there was ever a time to be in therapy, now would be the time because there's, like... We literally cannot escape it. Whether you watch the news or you're just watching Hulu or Netflix, like the ads and stuff are everywhere. And so we're not really afforded the opportunity to separate, not to mention us still being in this pandemic that we have all selectively forgot about. Like there's still a lot going on. And I just hate that people feel like they have to numb themselves out. And I get it a thousand percent. The therapist in me understands a thousand thousand percent but at the same time it just that's one of the things that really makes me upset is a big reason why people don't go to therapy right now in the first place is because of some of the racial things that we have had to deal with for so long so now we don't even trust the system so why am I going to go talk to somebody about my business when you're the person who has put me in this place in the first place it is sad but I, I don't know I do want to encourage any and everybody right now if you are not seeing somebody even if it's just for a session like just to check the therapist out because you don't have to stay with the therapist you go to initially if you do not vibe with them if you do not feel like it is helpful y'all can let it go 
and you can try somebody else but i do really want people to utilize the resources there are a lot of free things happening right now and for the people who work in mental health free is not always an option so i would really like encourage people to take advantage of the resources that are out there that people are willing to offer and i hate that it took something like this for us to even consider that oh pro bono is a real thing like yes money is great but at the same time there are literally people because of racial disparities and systematic racism that don't have the resources to access therapy so crazy it is crazy that's the thing access what I need I don't have access to what I need and there are people who don't even have to even consider or think about that and so nobody we're not calling anybody crazy please go see somebody or go talk to somebody like this stuff does have a long lasting effect on us a very long lasting and this is a traumatic thing that we have never stopped dealing with which means we're still in the midst of it I feel like we have PTSD for being black we do. And I've talked about that. And that's why I made the episode around the sensationalism of black bodies, because I get the movement. But at the same time, black people as a culture and as a race have been traumatized so much. So, so, so much from every avenue, whether it's school and our students being used for their athletic abilities or like news. It's just so many different things. And I'm not going to get into it because it's going to make me upset. And we, that's another episode for a different day. But it, I mean, all of those things exist and racial disparities are a real thing. And I want people to know that and I want them to embed it in their mind that just because it is not your experience does not mean it does not exist. And it's a word I need everybody to let marinate in their spirit. Girl, Whew. all right. So, do you want to drop anything about any of the work that you've done, ways that people can find you, any resources you want to offer for the people? I'll talk about the work that I'm currently doing. Um, I've been in a lot of academic spaces um, as of late in the past two weeks, I'll say. Um, just talking about moving forward, like how you can address this in academia. because. If you haven't seen now, now you know that it's a problem and we need to address it in academia and um, being one of the, the few black scholars in my particular field, um, I've been talking to a lot of people. A lot of people have been reaching out to me. Um, I know I've been invited to an upcoming webinar to talk about race as it relates to public relations. So I'm really excited about that um, to be a guest panelist on that. I'm just continuing to research. I'm really trying to uncover like more message strategies and tactics that we could use to build community, to really implement policies, just to be about the action. So I'm really doing that. Um, Candace Edrington, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Instagram. I changed my Instagram name. So it is Dr. Easy E, which is kind of funny. Let me tell you something. When I saw that, because I was like, why can't I find Candace? Did she block me? No, she didn't block me. Okay, she didn't block me. She didn't change her name. It's cute, too. I like it. And let me tell you where that name came from. Okay, let me hear it. So, you know, first of all, you really have to know me on a personal level to know that I am not um, the most polished person. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
that although I am an assistant professor, I do wear big hoop earrings. I okay. listen to two chains and Migos in the parking lot before I get out and go teach my classes. And then wrong with a trap scholar, a trap therapist, a trap basically. <laughs> um, and so that's where the Easy E came from. But if you really know about Easy E, he was really um, on the forefront of talking about some really serious stuff lyrically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as it related to the black community and the black experience and so I think that's what I'm trying to do in my work and so you know it just kind of it's kind of like the, a multi-dimensional name so you know I think it fits me better so Dr. Easy E um Candace I'm so proud of you girl I'm proud of us thank you <laughs> let me say thank you you're welcome um, first but I'm definitely proud of us. Like, we have come a long way. A long our, way. Because um, they don't know us. Nights. They don't know us. They don't they know don't. us. But we've come <laughs> a long way from our wine and chicken nights in High Point and Greensboro. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we, are. Where we are now. Right, out here doing the work. Out here doing the work. Delta brought us together. Mm-hmm. Okay. What is it, long distance line sisters? Yep. <laughs> No, what it was extended. Extended lines. Where do I get long distance from, girl? Yeah. Hey, long distance extended. Okay, it all means the same thing. We know. Yeah, same thing. Oh, well, Candace. Same line makes us closer. Okay. Well, I appreciate you for coming up here and educating the people. I hope y'all listening heard a good word and a good message. There were lots of gems in this episode. You might have to listen to it twice. And I will make sure I get all the links from you, Candace, so I can include them in the show notes so that people can actually have somewhere to go to find what okay. we were talking about. Um, that way we're not being slacktivists. I like that word, slacktivist. I'm going to start using it. I'm going to start using it at work. Let's not be slacktivists, guys. I'm going to get in trouble, but I'm going to still use it. <laughs> use it. I am. But as always, I appreciate y'all for tuning in to the Cult for the Culture podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Renee, and I'm out this thing. Bye, y'all. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. It's Tiana Renee here. To make sure you stay up to date on all information related to Cope for the Culture, be sure to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram at Cope for the Culture Podcast, Twitter at Cope, the number four, the culture, and on Facebook at Cope for the Culture Podcast. As always, I appreciate you for tuning in. Bye, y'all.